Christmas really is a time of anticipation. And that's a wonderful thing, no matter what age or stage you are in life. It's wonderful to move into the Christmas season with anticipation. And many of us as children would really anticipate that special toy, that special gift. Uh, I could pass the mic around right now, and, and you could remember that thing you wanted and how you were just just couldn't wait to get it. And then there's some of us that migrated from having something bought for us to just saying, just give me money, please. I just want money. I can remember convincing my parents after we had been married a couple years that the matching sweaters really weren't something we wanted anymore. And if they just sent me a check, that would be better than a, than a sweater. <laughs> so anyway, so we transition. But there's that anticipation and uh, really, the old word for Christmas and anticipation is this word you hear, Advent. And Advent is a time of expected waiting and preparation for the coming of the Messiah, the one that would set things right. And so there's that anticipation. But what is wonderful about today, living in 2021, is hope is here. The Messiah did arrive. We don't have to wait for that any longer. And that hope can actually become a part of our lives, can actually help the rhythm of our lives. So hope being here isn't just some nice little idea we think of way out there. It can actually become a reality for us on a daily basis. Hope being here can affect us daily and sometimes sometimes at least in my life uh, the hope has to affect me hourly the the weight of something is weighing me down and i need hope like now in this moment and it seems like i have it and uh, like water in my hand it starts to to leak out and i just live in that rhythm of having to hold on to hope now when john wrote the book of john uh, jesus's friend uh, he wrote it using his personality and who he is, but it is God-inspired. And all the words in there are God-inspired, but he used, God used who he was. So that's why sometimes um, people, when they look at writing and style and literary, they say this person wrote this because you can see that style. And you can even see that in the scriptures, uh, that uh, the personality of the person wasn't checked at the door when God inspired them to write his word. It, it comes through. And John, at the end of his book, writes the purpose. And I love the way Eugene Peterson translates it or renders it. He says, these are written down so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, trusting, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. In other words, God, through Jesus, his Son, wanted to reveal how we can live in the times we live in, how we can live the best lives possible. And the act of believing is having that life now, that real life now, and in this chapter in life, it ushers us into the next chapter of life, where we go to be with God in heaven. And as we mentioned quite frank often, as you see, if you look at the scriptures, you'll see that someday there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. We don't completely understand what that's going to look like. But if you and I say yes to Jesus, have a belief in him that he came and gave his life for us, 
die for us, so we can have forgiveness for our sins, our disobedience, our selfishness, whatever you want to call that. And by believing it, we can have real life, and the pieces of life can start to come together now. And then it goes on through eternity, and uh, Jesus just came to reveal that to us. And so as we start to think about hope is here, we realize that hope really, in our definition, is a person. Hope is a person. It's, it's Jesus himself. And hope is here. And if you've said yes to Jesus, Jesus comes and joins your life through the Spirit. And so you always have hope with you as a person. It's just not a concept. It's just not a positive thinking kind of thing. You actually can experience hope and live in and through hope in the person of Jesus Christ, who is also fully man and fully God. And we'll try to unpack some of that as, as we walk through. That's one reason it's great we have a resource center. It's great that we have right now media, because some of the things I'm going to talk about are going to kind of like plant a question in your mind, and we can't answer all those questions in just a few minutes on a Sunday morning. And that gives you the resources to investigate and think through some of the things that uh, God may lay on your heart. So he is a person. Uh, John 1.14, again by Eugene Peterson, the word became flesh and blood. That's Jesus. That's God. Uh, the expression, the word, and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. This is John and his friends, and we could talk about some times where they really saw the glory. Uh, glory with our own eyes, a one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out from start to finish. Talk about grace and truth, generous to us inside and out. And that is just so wonderful that he moved into the neighborhood. Uh, sometimes uh, you think about moving. We've just moved, so it's really on our mind. And you think about the neighborhood you're moving into. We moved into a, uh, from a neighborhood where you could like stick your hand out your window and shake the hand of the person next door. It wasn't that close, but it was much close. Now the neighborhood we live in, we can barely see our neighbors. Some people go, that's great. We're a little freaked out by that. We like to be able to say, hey, Joe, you know, it's, you know, it's nice to see a light on at that house, you know, that someone else lives in Lodi besides Dave and Cindy. No, we know that's true. But, uh, but you know, moving into the neighborhood, it, it, it's hard. And, and you think of uh, Jesus moving into a different neighborhood. Remember, he left heaven. Just think of that. He, he, he took a step down. He moved into a neighborhood that compared to heaven wasn't desirable. Uh, he downsized, lived to a place that did what didn't have the glories of heaven and all that we can imagine, and we get glimpses of it. It's like in scriptures, it's like someone pulling up the blinds. You look out the window real quick, and down they come. I saw something out there. It was beautiful. I liked it, but I, I, I don't really know what that all meant. I just know that it is fantastic. And so he goes from that experience, that reality. We're going to say that Jesus would incarnate, that he existed before he was born as a little baby. Uh, if you go into the Older Testament, sometimes you, there's a reference to an angel of the Lord. And if the people experiencing this angel of the Lord worship this angel, that's Jesus. If it's just a regular everyday angel, and, they, and they, sometimes the angel will say, don't worship me, I'm just an angel. Don't do that. But when you see an angel of the Lord, that is Christ pre 
incarnation, free flesh and blood. So he moves into the neighborhood. And moving into a neighborhood, at least from a human perspective, can be exhausting. And so I took some pictures and some videos of what our move was like and some of the people that helped us. Guys, got it right. What the f are they doing? <laughs> Moving is a challenge. Moving can be tough. I don't want us to lose that Jesus moved from the heaven neighborhood to our neighborhood. Thankfully, did that. Thankfully, he stepped down, and sometimes we say, well, move to the other side of the tracks, but he was willing to do that. He moved to us. And so that makes hope here. Hope is here. He's been here. And then when he left, he left his spirit. And we could take a look at John talks about that. So in a sense, he really hasn't left. Because any of us who have said yes to Christ, have Christ a part of our life through his spirit, joins our life, is connected to our life, we would say the spirit indwells us. And how we parse that, what that really is, it gets a little difficult. But he's a part of our lives. But there was a desire, there was an anticipation up until the Messiah came. Even Isaiah, hundreds of years earlier, writes, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And so there was this hope. If you read some of the Psalms of David, you can see David talks about, because he saw this happen with, the, his, with King Saul, the king that was king before him, that he says, don't take your spirit from me. There's this idea that before Christ came, before he left his spirit, you had a relationship with God, but it was different. Having the comforter, having the helper, having the spirit is, is a much better experience of walking with God than before that. And so there was an anticipation, a hope. And no matter what's going on in our world, I, I want to tell you, hope has arrived. You can have it. You can have it as a part of your life. And we also, when we're thinking about this, need to realize that hope has always existed. Already talked about that a little bit. Jesus always existed. And 
John talks about this. It's interesting. You know, you look at Matthew and Luke, the way the birth stories talked about, and, you know, you get the story part, the sweet part. Well, at least we make it sweet in our little stories. And, uh, you know, once you get through some of the genealogies, and it's sweet. But John starts a completely different. Now, he starts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has, was made that has been made. And you, all of a sudden, you're like, wow. You realize that Jesus is a part of the Trinity, one God in three persons. Often when I talk about this, I, I say, you know, it'd be easier for me to understand three gods that just got along. But it doesn't, Scripture doesn't teach that. One God in three persons. And then it goes from going, I can't get my mind around that, so what do I do with that, to all of a sudden going, that's a good thing. If I can get my mind around all the nuances that have been exposed to us about God, then God loses some of his mystery. God ought to be mysterious to us. He ought to function on a level and a plane that is father than us, the same way we know that God functions outside of time. And none of us can really understand that because we are linear beings. It's time. It's one day after another. God is outside of time. And so hope, Christ, Jesus, that baby born in a manger has always existed. The idea or the concept word goes back to Genesis. The word got everything going. The word was involved in creation. So John chooses that word to say the word was with God and has been always. And so as we start to think about that, we start to think about how do we do with this? How do we, how do we kind of like try to integrate what these concepts are in our lives? So just a few thoughts here. First of all, we see that, that, that God, Jesus, is the hope is constant and consistent. And I like the fact he's constant, he doesn't change, but I also like that he's consistent. He, the way he expresses himself, who he is, his love, all of those kinds of things, they are consistent. He doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And that's something that I love holding on to, that he's constant, he's not going anywhere, and he's not changing. That's one reason it's so good for you and I to read through those first four books of the New Testament, to do a study on the Gospels, they call them, because we see how Jesus interacted in his world. Now, sometimes some of us will say, well, the, the accounts are different. I tell you, I could get a husband and wife up here to talk about yesterday, Saturday, and you'd think they lived a different day. They'd say, well, this happened, and the other person wouldn't even mention that. It's not that they're lying. It's different things registered with them differently. So it's going to have different nuances. Someone more important about this. Uh, you go into a, go driving down the road, and, um, you know, Cindy notices the decorations. I noticed the car that drove by. We're on the same trip. Didn't even see the decorations. So if I was to write a journal entry of the day, it would seem like it was different. 
So, you know, get these four Gospels that help us to explain and see how he lived, what he does. In Hebrews, we read, don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have, since God assured us, I'll never let you down, never walk off and leave you. And the underlying message there is our stuff, a lot of things we grab for, the good things in life, we think that that's where our relaxation comes from. That's where our peace comes from. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, all that stuff, all those people, relax. Be thankful for what you have, but don't think that your peace and joy is all going to come from that stuff. Because that stuff can be taken from you. But I, God, the hope, Jesus, will never leave you. I'll never walk away from you. I'll never walk out on you. And so his consistency and the fact that he's constant can, can give us a strength and understanding that hope is here now. Also, we have this idea of communing. talks about God communing with the Son, communing with the Word, communing uh, other places with the Spirit, this idea of Trinity. And again, that word Trinity, you're not going to find trinity in scripture but as you unpack it you're going to see there is one god in three persons we see it expressed this way he was with god in the beginning there was a unity to him there was a connection they are one even though they're three persons they are one god uh, it interests me this week i started reading rereading uh, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, and I just wanted a book with lots of big words and some theological stuff, and one of the chapters this week was on the Trinity, and I was going to speak on that a little bit, so I thought that was not a coincidence, but that was God helping me out with preparing. Our sincerest effort to grasp the incomprehensible mysteries of the Trinity must remain forever futile. And only by deepest reverence can it be saved from, the, from actual presumption. You know, it gets so true. You know, what we become familiar with, sometimes we can show contempt for. Um, what makes an expert, you know, someone comes to be an expert at work or whatever, or somebody, uh, you know, in your life, maybe you're a school teacher, maybe you're a carpenter and you, you want some training, maybe something on whatever. It's always someone who, like, lives 25 miles away. They're like 25 miles away, they're an expert because you can have those same experts live like next door in your life and they're not an expert, but they bring somebody else from away and all of a sudden, wow, they know all this stuff and you discover, wait a minute, I knew all that stuff, but because they're 25 miles away, they're an expert. There's some mystery with that. Well, that's just amplified over and over and over again when it comes to the Trinity and who God is and how he functions. The doctrine of the Trinity, as I've said before, is truth for the heart. The fact that it cannot be satisfactorily explained, instead of being against it, is in favor of it. Such a truth has to be revealed. No one could have imagined it. There ought to be some mystery, some awe, some, wow, I don't get that when it comes to who God is. Because he's God. 
Western thinking wants to put everything in its spot, wrap it up in a nice little package, and be able to completely understand it. If they can't completely understand it, it, it doesn't exist, it's not right, it's, it's this or whatever. But other cultures on our planet, the far majority of the cultures, cultures allow for mystery. And that's okay, the supernatural. And the same should be true for the Christ follower, that we realize we can't kind of like fit God into this nice box. It's just what he reveals to us. And he reveals just enough so that you and I can have a growing relationship with him. He doesn't reveal all this stuff about him so that we can just have head knowledge about him, so we can know about him. Remember, it's not about just information. It is about transformation. Also, there's this idea that the word, the one, the hope is creative. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. His preexistence. Somehow, as fully God, fully man, he had access to being fully God. It wasn't like he was less. He just knew how not to exercise his deity. I, I don't know about you, but I would have cheated. I have trouble not cheating on a diet. You know, Cindy says, just eat this stuff. She's not around. And, you know, go get an extra Triscuit or whatever. Or find a stash of candy bars or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, but we don't see Jesus cheating on the side. You know, it's not like... Oh, boy, I'm really tired right now. Boy, it's been a long day. I'll just kind of like use my God powers and like, ooh, energize. And now I can go on for another couple of miles. We see him resting. We see him not exercising. I'm hungry. I'll just uh, manufacture and make a McDonald's right here. And, or just even better, I'll just make a Big Mac, you know, and nobody knows about those. I'll just have it, you know. You don't see him doing any of those kinds of things. It's fully God, fully man. Again, blow your mind. Can't totally get your mind around it. But that is okay. Through his powers, all things were made, things in heaven and in earth, seen and not seen. Everything was made through him and for him. The sun was there before anything was made, and all things continue because of him. That's amazing. He's a part of sustaining everything. Sometimes you meet somebody, and they might even believe that there's a possibility of a God or there is a God, and he kind of set everything in motion and now has kind of removed himself from creation. Scripture teaches us that that's not the case. God is still keeping everything together. And you might say, well, I wish he'd keep it together a little bit better. I mean, look what we got to live with. But there's also this thing called free will, and he allows us to do things that create ripples in other people's lives. And what's funny is I, 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 I want free will, but I don't want you to have free will. You know what I mean? You know, I, mean, I want free will, but, you know, when the kids were young, I don't want them to have free will. I want them to do exactly what I, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. You either have it or you don't have it. It's not like a half to these people and these people, you know, you take your driver's license and you get free will. And those who haven't passed the test don't get it. It's not that way. So somebody can do something really crazy. Someone can do something really inhumane. You go, why didn't God step in and change that? It's because everybody has free will. And you, again, like free will for yourself. You just don't like it for somebody else. And so everybody sustains. Also, when it comes to terms of faith, he's controversial. Have all these verses showing the tension of 
the hope being here. There's this idea of repentance. Jesus says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In this setting, he's referring to the kingdom of God being what's the kingdom in your heart, how you respond to God. And he talks about repenting. And sometimes those of us who have been in church world think, oh, yeah, yeah, when you, when you enter into a relationship with God, when you get saved, born again, say yes to him, however you want to say it, uh, that's when you repent. And that's true. But there's also a lifestyle of repentance. You and I should be repenting all the time. Just like someone who sometimes uses the word convert. They converted. Well, as a Christ follower, we're, we live a life of conversion. Because none of us have arrived. And the minute you don't think you need to change, convert, or repent, you think you've arrived. So we have to work hard. I think it's kind of hard. You slow down and say, where, Lord, do you want me to change? How do you want me to convert if you've said yes to Christ? Because I want to continue to grow. I want to create ripples in my life that reflect a converting life that are a blessing to other people in my life, even when they don't know it. I want to have those blessings for myself. I want to be more aware. I want my heart to be soft. Uh, Old Testament wording says, I, God says, I'm going to replace your heart of stone with a soft heart of flesh. I want that kind of heart. I don't want to get so good at acting like a Christian, even though I am a Christian, that it becomes just like a cultural thing. There ought to be times where in a month or two, I go, wow, I need to convert from that thinking, that idea. I need to, need to change. I need to grow. Uh, Nicodemus visits him at night. Again, there was, there was tension. Uh, Nicodemus admits, no one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if God wasn't in or weren't in on it. But I'm not ready to say yes to you. Some of us may be in that place. You've seen God show up in somebody else's life. You've seen somebody change. You've seen somebody else convert. And so you see God doing something, but you're not ready to Say, do that same something to me. I'm going to say, life isn't perfect when you do it, but life is better. You can have that full life that ushers you into eternity. All people were amazed with Jesus. What words these are, what authority, what power. He gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out, and they didn't do anything with it. Some of us say, wow, if I could just see like a real miracle. I mean a real, real, wow, 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 wow miracle. Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see a whole nation that saw miracle after miracle after miracle, and their hearts were hard. Scores of them never said yes to God. They were stubborn. So it's not that you just need a new miracle, some wild thing to go, aha. It's a miracle that God changes any of us. And in this moment, as you, I may be talking, and some of you may not like what I'm saying, but some of you may be feeling just burning in your heart like, wow, that is for me. I'm going to tell you that is not because Dave Spencer is a good speaker. It's because God is God, and he's drawing you, but he doesn't make you. Jesus answered to Philip, you know, 
Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus, part of the Trinity, one God, three persons. Jesus is like the tangible expression of flesh and blood of God. And Philip's saying, show us the Father. And Jesus is saying, here I am. That's why I say, go back to those Gospels, those four books of the New Testament, the first four, and see Jesus in operation. I don't have time, but you could read Philippians. You can see how Jesus humbles himself, comes to earth. But then what's funny, if you go back from, I think it's Philippians 5 down to 11, you read all this, he came down, he did, you know, all the stuff, he didn't hold on to his rights as being fully God and fully all this stuff. But then if you go up to verses 1 through 4, you can see behavior change, real relational behavior change in those four verses. And we say, wow, because Jesus is who he is, I ought to be able to, with his strength, with his power, live those next, those four verses. Real quickly, hope is moved into the neighborhood. So what does that mean? Again, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, this idea of set up a tent We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. He becomes human. And what's great about that is we don't have a high priest, a mediator between us and God the father who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through all weakness and testing, experienced it all but the sin. So when you and I talk to God, when you and I pray, we can be transparent. Jesus remembers what it's like to be tempted. He just didn't read about it. He just didn't observe it. He experienced it, yet without the sin. That's the kind of priest mediator I need or I want. He lived among us. He lived among us. And he lives with us. And he lives in us. I love this. Uh, some of us uh, who are Christ followers try to read his word on a regular basis. Really think that's important. And uh, I love to do that for me. It works in the morning. So I read that. And uh, I just don't get marching orders from him. I know he goes with me through my day. And I want him, because I forget. I want to read stuff. And I want him to walk through with me through the day. Sometimes I'm meeting with someone and there's some tension in a relationship and let's say there's three of us meeting and in sometimes usually in the prayer time I'll thank God for saying there's just not three of us in this room. There's four of us in this room because you are here with us. And it's not Dave talking to them. It's you hopefully speaking through Dave and hopefully I'm listening and hopefully, uh, you know, the spirit's in you just as much as it's in me. And uh, there's this, there's this, we're trying to compliment what God wants to do with us, but he's among us. He's with us. He also reveals his glory. I love these two words that go along with glory. The word glory refers to the visible manifestation of God's presence and power. It carries with it the idea of weight and importance. I love the fact that he's presence and powerful. I wouldn't want him to be present and not have any power. I wouldn't want him to be all power but not to be present. I love that combination. It reflects grace and truth. 
I want truth, but I also need grace. I don't just need grace, I need truth. And he reveals that glory. So when you hear the word glory, and we sing it sometimes, we'll sing it with Christmas carols, it's the idea of God's presence and power. And then lastly, we've talked about this. He invites us. Free will. The true light that gives light to everyone. Clarity, how to see. He helps you go step by step. Light enough to take the next step. Was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. I think it's a choice with that. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to the nation of Israel, and they still didn't receive him. They should have been more apt to receive him because they kind of had an idea about this. But it's funny. Sometimes the people with the idea are kind of the idea are the, are, the, are the ones that resist actually implementing the idea. Some of us have just enough information to be dangerous to say no. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, God save us, the Messiah, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not out of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. He invites us. So hope is here. Hope is here. Hope has moved into the neighborhood. Hope is next door. The question is, is, no, is hope in your house? And the only way you can experience hope being in your house is yes to say yes to him, but it's also to hear from him on a regular basis. Hope is here. He's the person we need to hear from regularly. Again, he just doesn't give his marching orders and goes off to be by himself or we go off to do our thing. He is with us, and we need to be listening to experience that hope on a regular basis. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the grace and truth of Jesus, of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, help us to live in that. Live through your light. Live through your clarity. Live through a relationship with you. And if there's anyone here this morning that's never said yes to you, they may know a ton about you, but they've never said yes to you, would today be the day where you don't only live in their neighborhood, but you live in their life, in their heart, in their very being. We thank you that you invite all of us, and you continue to invite us into a life of conversion and repentance. May we welcome that as a gift. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.